Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. You're listening to We Love Movies. Still to come, we'll be reviewing all the big cinema releases out this weekend. Interesting mix. We've got The Bad Guys, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and Jared Leto's Morbius. But before all of that, it's the story that keeps on giving Will Smith's altercation with Chris Rock at the Oscars. Look, we don't need to go back into all of that now. Everyone knows what has happened. Uh, but joining me as always is Andy McCarroll, Chris Wasser and Olivia Fahey. Andy, like Chris Rock, I think we're all still processing um, exactly what happened. But I suppose it's it's trying to be speculative now and seeing what the future might hold because Chris Rock, he, he's on his tour at the moment. He got a standing ovation in Boston and his silence for the most part, because he has said that he's still processing, uh, processing um, I think will, have do, will do him the world of good, the fact that he's keeping his counsel at the moment. But for Will Smith, Andy, for his publicity, his publicity team, his publicist, his manager, they must be all working overtime to think, how can we salvage this man's career? Andy, just trying to look into the future here now, this is a massive stain for him. Is it? But is it going to affect his career? I think it will to a certain extent. I don't think it's not going to be a case of Will Smith's not going to disappear off the face of the earth. But like he has a multi-year career pretty much unblemished up until the past maybe 12, 24 months. And now this incident is going to be the first line of his obituary. Every single interview he does, every single article you read about Will Smith will be Will Smith, who famously slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars. Everything he has done up until this point, that perfectly curated image that he has, has just exploded in one instance. I We've been talking about this for the last while, with kind of the, the revelations of the, the Jada Pinkett show about the affair then his YouTube channel, which is just bizarre. And it kind of gave an insight that he lives in this you know, mad little world. He had you now his Tom Cruise jump the couch moment, but just on the biggest stage absolutely possible. And I think it's going to have a, a massive effect on his public persona. It's not as if, you know, it's somebody like, let's say Clint Eastwood went up and done it or Denzel went up. He'd be like, okay, well, they're kind of seen as, as hard lads. This is, he's got the very family friendly image. Chris Rock will make out like a bandit on this. Like, I can't tell you the last time I watched a Chris Rock stand-up show, but I'll tell you something. I'll be watching the next one because Will Smith has just given him more material that the world will be looking for now. I think that the stat was he sold more the night of the Oscars for his upcoming tour than he had in the six months previously. So, and I think he's played this very well. Just don't open your mouth. If people want to hear what you have to say about Will Smith, you have to buy the ticket. You have to come see the show. He's going to make out okay out of this. But Will Smith, Every single interview, everything he does from now on, this is what people are going to focus on until, you know, maybe next year with the Oscars when they try and do some PR damage. Maybe you have the two of them present best actor together. But you, you can see even from an Oscar standpoint, there's not going to be any fallout from his side. Like they won't ban him because, you know, the first hour of the Oscars was one of the lowest rated they ever had. The second hour after that happened was one of the highest rates they ever had. So they're kind of thinking, rubbing their hands, thinking, well, we've got TV partners here. We need to, you know, build this up. I say they're just regretting that there's, there's 12 months to the next show. They wish it was just around the corner so they could capitalize on this. But Chris, do you think, though, the, the Academy does need to take action? Because there is a story that also came out this week that the Academy did ask Will Smith to leave the auditorium and he refused. So... They do have to showcase the fact that like they, they can't allow this. They're, they're not condoning violence. So 
they have to slap him on the wrist in some way. Now, some are saying that he shouldn't give back his Oscar because yeah. if he because in the end of the day, he was awarded that uh, Oscar because of his acting merit and not because of what he did uh, mm. on stage on the night. And so it would be unfair to take away the Oscar. And if you were to take away the Oscar, then you're also opening up the floodgates to an awful lot of other individuals who have done horrendous things in their uh, private lives that would also warrant them having their Oscars taken back. But I would also say I'm, I'm kind of looking at people like, say, Harvey Weinstein being an example. But Will Smith, Harvey Weinstein, even though he is a horrendous human being. Um, he didn't get up and slap anyone at the Oscars now. So in, in terms of the night in question, if we just focus on the night as opposed to anything outside of that, Will Smith has gone up and he's committed an assault. It's there a plane for everyone to see um, outside of possibly banning him. But do you think maybe that the Oscars are justified in also taking away the Oscar to showcase, look, you can't behave like that. I don't think they will take away his Oscar. And there are a couple of reasons for this. One, he was awarded this Oscar for his work in King Richard, which was an excellent performance. And that's what the Oscars is there to do. It's to award the work. And we could be here for hours, days, weeks discussing, you know, the thorny issue of separating, you know, the art from the artist whenever things like this happen. But he was awarded for a performance in King Richard. That should be separate. But also... Nobody, the Academy is not going to take away a Best Actor award because if they do that from Will Smith, because if they do that, the Oscar has to go somewhere. And none of his, you know, the the other four nominees, nobody wants to be the actor who won the Oscar just mm-hmm. because Will Smith committed an, an assault. Nobody wants that. Good and the point. Academy and the Academy doesn't want that either. At the same time, they do have to take action. Now they said that they will take appropriate action and that they're going to in that it's going to require weeks to you know investigate the matter and to make a decision by the time we finish this conversation you know there might be another twist and turn in the story i don't know why it needs to take weeks but that's what they said is going to happen what i see happening is the same thing that would happen if anybody else in the real world because this is not the real world um you know committed an assault or committed an offense as will smith did if he did that in you know a restaurant or a pub you would be barred from that mm-hmm. restaurant or pub. If you did that while representing your work or representing an organization that you are an honorary member of, you would be barred from that organization. So I think they will suspend or maybe even expel him from the academy. And that could have a long lasting impact on his career. The same way that anyone who ever goes to interview Will Smith now, they're going to be told in advance, you can't ask about this. And Will mm-hmm. Smith is going to sit there for the rest of his career wondering, oh, what are people going to ask this? It's just going to be there. It's, it's going to hurt him in a way that, Remember, award season is not just one night. Now it stretches on from September to, to April. And the lead in, especially to the Oscars, there are so many gala events. There are so many lunches and dinners. And and and, and it's it's more than one night, basically, Gordon. And he mm. is going to miss out on that. And that is going to hurt him. It's going to hurt his brand. It's going to hurt his family. But there needs to be some sort of punishment. He committed an assault. You have to be punished for that. Absolutely. Well said, Chris. Olivia, it's also been very interesting to see the reaction from people because the night of the Oscars, so many people were on the fence in what they wanted to say. Even Questlove, who picked up the Oscar for Best Documentary for uh, Summer of Soul, I think was the name of the film, um, that which Chris Rock was to present in that category. Um, 
he just said he was in a very meditative state and uh, really just didn't take on board everything that had transpired, which is a nice way to try and whitewash your way out of getting into anything contentious. But an awful lot of people were very much on the fence, not wanting to sway on any side, waiting for the court of public opinion to swing before anyone has had anything to say. And I really have to take my hat off to people like Jim Carrey, who was uh, on, I think it was one of the morning shows and he was being interviewed by Oprah's best friend, Gail, um, about what he thought of what transpired at the Oscars. And he put himself out there along with like, and other people like Mark Hamill have done the same as well. But I thought Jim Carrey was spoke extremely well. I think he spoke for an awful lot of people um, who just felt that what Will Smith's actions were um, were, were disgraceful um, and that uh, if he had been assaulted, he would be suing him and that he should have been arrested. And... And it is a stain on Will Smith. But my question really is, Olivia, is that do you think now we're going to see the tide turning with Will Smith, especially now that you're getting a number of A-listers like Jim Carrey and recently Zoe Kravitz as well, just saying how immensely disappointed and disgraceful his behaviour has been? I would hope so, because I think that, as everyone's been saying so far, is that like his actions do require punishment. And I think... What Jim Carrey said was was extremely accurate. Like, uh, yes, okay, Chris Rock has decided that he doesn't want to press charges. And in fairness, I am wondering, is that the right call? Because at the end of the day, like, it, it could make matters worse. Like, it might be what should legally happen. But at the end of the day, is it actually going to benefit Chris himself if he goes onward with this? I've actually seen a lot of comments in support of what Will Smith did in defense of his wife, which, considering the violent outburst, you know, you would put a big question mark over the people agreeing that that was the right way to handle it. Um, But then you've got people like Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, um, you've had Jim Carrey as well, uh, Whoopi Goldberg. They've all spoken out against how he handled the situation, which is the correct response, in my opinion, because at the end of the day, he could have still taken Chris aside after that or while the nominees were being read out and be like, look, do you mind apologizing? That's a very personal matter like come on she's actually got a health condition she didn't take it funny so like that would have been a better way to deal with it other than absolutely making a holy show of yourself by slapping someone on live television on a global scale mm, absolutely I think that I was gonna say one thing that Amy Schumer said actually as well is that she hates uh, or at least I think it was Amy Schumer she hopes that this doesn't give a precedence to people um, who go to see comedy shows to just get up on stage and start slapping people. Because at the end of the day, if it's shown that it's OK for Will Smith to do it, then why is it not OK for everybody else to do it to comedians as well when they make a joke that people don't like? And that is a real danger. And I think that's another reason why something has to be done. Yeah, well, you, you would also kind of think when you're in the front row of whether you're at the if you're lucky enough to be at the Oscars or even at a comedy club, you are leaving yourself open to uh, possible ridicule. So you need to have thick skin. And you would have thought that Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith would have had it by now. But Andy, I was going to leave the last word to you, because one of the things that Jim Carrey did touch upon and an awful lot of people have also uh, speculated as well is about Will Smith's mental uh, state and that this was obviously a very triggering comment from Chris Rock. But was it really a trigger comment or was maybe the th- what we didn't see on camera, maybe the look or maybe something Jada Pinkett Smith said to him that really was uh, the, 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 the match to the flame, really? Um, because he she has really aired an awful lot of their private life, which did not need to be aired uh, for her own um, attention seeking purposes. And this man has essentially been emasculated by Jada Pinkett Smith. And... 
I don't know, was this the red flag to the bull? More so than what Chris Rock said, because that scene, the mask did come off Will Smith and he seems to be in a very fragile, vulnerable position, it seems at the moment. Yeah, it could be one of two things. One, we couldn't, we obviously don't see the behind the scenes. Well, we see a lot of behind the scenes with them. Like this could be something that, you know, she cries about nightly to him and it's a very personal subject for them. And that's just, that's their trigger for that. When he saw that his wife being slagged in front of, you know, a billion people and her getting upset, all of those emotions, all of those instances could have come to the forefront. But I do think this is something that has been coming out a while. You've touched on it there, like him being completely emasculated in that show where she's talking about affairs and essentially blaming him for her running off with some 20-year-old rapper while he sits there and cries while she tries to you know, use this as a way to boost the ratings. And he's become a punchline since that. Like he's you know become the, the crying Will Smith meme. If you put Will Smith into Google, the first thing that comes up is the picture of him crying. And as we said, he is someone who has managed his career so perfectly and so intricately for 30 years and then all of that is just blown up in one instant and that's where it's gone i think just seeing that and having the abuse in front of like a billion people that was the kind of the moment where he just snapped and was like i'm not taking this anymore and he felt he had to you know you know the, the macho thing and regain his manhood in the most stupid and you know barbaric way you possibly could when like olivia said pull him to one side and explain it to him or, or just, just take it in the spirit that it was intended and say it afterwards not you know, burn the house down just because, you know, you, you want to prove how much of a man you are. It was a complete sucker punch what he did too. And the, the, the swagger that he walked off, it was like mm. somebody who's living in their own fairy tale movie world um, as he sauntered off the stage. Um, and even that, like not leaving when he's being asked, as Chris said, you know, like he does, like he went up and slapped the 60 year old comedian and then swaggered back as if, you know, he thought he was in the wild, wild west, you know, I've defeated the bad guys. He does, he lives in his own little world. And anyone who's seen that YouTube show has seen his ego has just spiraled out of control. It's interesting times ahead. How I think it's definitely, this is going to run on for another week or two anyway, but when we get that decision from the Academy, but we are going to move on uh, because we've got to look at the, this week's new cinema releases. And first up is Morbius, from uh, which stars our old pal, Jared Leto. Before we chat about it, here's a clip. Michael, what have you done? I was trying to help people. But the cure. It's a curse. Michael. I have powers that can only be described as superhuman. But there's a cost. Now, I face a choice to hunt and consume blood or die. We all have monsters within us up to us to control it. What if I can't? So Morbius is out. So in terms of a Marvel release, this is more of a Sony Pictures Marvel movie. And because obviously, you know, Disney, the mouse house, has the rights to majority of the Marvel uh, produce. But then Sony has the likes of Spider-Man and some of those characters affiliated, like the likes of Venom. And they've also got Morbius. Jared Leto is front and center here um, and he plays Marvel's most popular vampire. Um, for those that don't know, Olivia, if, if look, Jared Leto, <laughs> I, I don't know where we start here with, with this. I don't know if anyone's been really crying out for a Morbius movie, but is this I, I suppose are they hoping that this is going to tie in with Venom and their own Spider-Man Sony? And hopefully that will kind of galvanize a potential 
franchise here with this? Uh, well, if that's what they were hoping, then they've done a complete hack job of it. Um, because at the end of the day, even though there are references to um, Venom in the film itself, um, no, 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 no. That's literally all I could say about the whole film. It's just, you just sit there going, no, no, this just, no, stop it, please, no, no. It just takes some gr- some good ideas and then just shoves it down your throat so much that you're kind of just like, okay, I get the point now, you don't need to keep doing it. They have some really intricate um, slow-mos and cool like CGI graphics and things like that, but then they overuse them and it's just relying so heavily on all of that. It just completely takes you out of the film. So I don't think it's going to be a successful addition to what they're hoping to do with their Spider-Verse and things like that. Um, any references to Spider-Man um, that were in the trailer have been completely removed from the film itself. So any of those fun Easter eggs that we were hoping to see in the film, completely gone. Even Michael Keaton himself has been edited out of the film nearly entirely. Um, so even our Vulture crossover thing, gone. Um, well, to a certain extent, but like it's just whatever reshoots or whatever they did, maybe between um, Spider-Man, into, uh, not into the Spider-Verse, uh, No Way Home um, and now, whatever they've done in that time, because I know that there were some reshoots being done and even Michael Keaton was saying that he was filming something um, in the meantime. Um, he said it on either Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon. Um, so clearly those were his reshoots for this because mm. anything that we saw in the trailers, did not end up in this film. And that's a real missed opportunity for them in that sense. So, Andy, if we look at the plot now, so this is like, in a way, is this kind of almost like the vampire version of Doctor Strange? Yeah, pretty much. It's He's got a blood disease and he's trying to fix himself by using vampire bats, as you do. This feels like very kind of mid-2000s Marvel superhero films. It's like they went to the director, like, do you want to make it an MCU Marvel film? Oh, yeah, no, I've seen all those. I've seen Blade Trinity. I've seen Underworld. I get all that comic book stuff. I know what it's about. But the thing for me is you can almost see how hacked this film is. Like, there's scenes, like, some of the continuity errors are hilarious. There's one scene in particular where uh, Jared Hass goes to Matt Smith's apartment, and the, the room is just strewn with bottles of champagne. And then it will cut back and they're gone. And then it'll cut back and then they're there again. It's just, it seems like Kevin Feige from Marvel just watched and went, I don't want anything to do with this. Remove every reference you have to the MCU because there's so many scenes and plot lines where it feels like, you know, when you go to the toilet during a film and you walk back in, you're like, okay, I need to kind of get my bearings here. I feel like I've missed something. The whole film is like that. There's you know a thing with Matt Smith's turning into the bad guy like wait, wait, why is he doing this and then he has an obsession with you know jared leto's assistant or his, the, the doctor that works with jared leto and you're like did i miss a scene like what is their backstory here why is he after her tyrese has this like mechanical arm that he makes one reference to and then that's never mentioned again there's so much of this film where you're like y- y- did you forget to put this in did you just take it out of editing to make it an hour 40 and try and blitz opening weekend It's just an absolute mess and everything is just mission convenient. You know, everything you happen to need at the time he has, he needs to fly. Okay. He's got flying powers now. I need a lab to develop blood. Oh, great. These guys who make counterfeit bills have walked into the cafe. I mean, I'll use their lab because obviously a lab that you develop, you know, a vampire blood serum is the same when you make counterfeit a hundred dollar bills in. It's just absolute tosh. It just feels like a forced draft ideas board of everything. There is some actual good things. You know, I like the, the, the way they portray his, his hearing, the sonar. That's done very well. But so much of it is like, okay, we'll do this, grand. And then they never went back to develop any of the ideas they had. And it's just, 
so many holes in it. It's a Swiss cheese of a film. And the annoying part is there is some good bits in it where you think, oh, this could have been good. Matt Smith 100% knows what type of film he's in. He just hams it up to 110. But then in the next scene will be really earnest and serious. So there's just no consistency to anything in the film. It is an entertaining mess of a thing. It's far better than something like Ambulance, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. It's watchable from a purely car crash standpoint. And I can't see this having any impact on the on the MCU as a, a wider verse. Maybe it's going to be an inexplicable billion-dollar opening like Venom, but I seriously don't think so. The reviews for this are out, and doesn't seem like anybody has anything positive to say about it. Oh, God. Uh, Olivia, Andy, just very quickly, out of 10 uh, for Morbius. Olivia, start with you. Uh, two. Like, it is, like, at least with Venom, you were kind of just like, it's crap, but it's fun. This is just crap. Okay, Andy, out of 10? I'm going to go four. It was, I was never bored watching it. Like I was never looking at the clock and it's a very brisk 90 minutes. So I was very happy with that. Okay, nice one. There we go. That is Morbius. Moving on to the bad guys. Uh, this is a, the latest effort from uh, DreamWorks. Uh, Sam Rockwell leads the charge here of these animal heist gangster types. Anyway, we'll get more into it after this clip. Hey, you, get over here. Oh, I know what it is. You're afraid. Because I'm the big bad wolf, the villain of every story. Duh. And this is the crew, Miss Tarantula, Mr. Shark, Mr. Piranha, Mr. Snake. Everyone copy. 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 We're the bad guys. It's crime time, baby. Shark. We need a distraction. Do I get to improvise? Fine. Please be subtle. I'm having a baby! Is there a doctor? Or perhaps several security guards that can leave their post and help me? You're listening to We Love Movies. Andy McCarroll, Olivia Fahey and Chris Wasser are with me. We're reviewing uh, The Bad Guys. And uh, Chris, uh, you, me and Andy saw this. And I have to say, the first act of this film bounded along. So we've got this team of gangsters led by a wolf. And then we've got a snake in there. Mark Maron uh, voices him. We've got a shark who's voiced by Craig Robinson. I think uh, is it Zazie Beats. I think she, or maybe I'm going to go wrong. Or is it um, Aquafina? She voices a, sp- a spider. Anyway, yeah. a spider. And then we've got like a piranha fish. Anyway, that's the team of the bad guys. And they're kind of like an Ocean's Eleven type of heist team. I think, Andy, you made reference to that before um, when we were off air. And um it moves along at a great pace. The first act there, there's shades of Tarantino about it. The It buzzes along, great energy, really funny. And that first act, I went, this is a cracker of, a, of an animated offering. And then we get into act two and it feels as if the script was handed over to somebody else and the pacing slows down and yeah. all that fun and vibrant energy it, it feels like it's just been lost. It's like a it, the, the, basically the first act plays like a, a, a bottle of fizzy lemonade that's just absolutely popping. And then it's like someone at the air out. And that's what we get for the last two acts. I came away from it going, oh, this should have been so much better. Yeah, it loses its simplicity as well. And that's probably its biggest crime because um, 
people will know people will know the, these these characters from from the books because the books are insanely popular uh they are a, a set of children's books by Aaron Blaby um the Australian author um and Dreamworks um animation and scholastic animation uh, have have come together to 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 create this piece which as you said has an, an astonishing opening sequence so the basic premise is so simple and it's so enjoyable we have a world inhabited by humans and anthropomorphic animals don't ask why or how. Yeah. Um, and a group of criminals known as the bad guys, that's what they're called. They do their best to keep things exciting in a very boring world. So you do have Mr. Wolf, Sam Rockwell. You have everyone else, as you mentioned there. Anthony Ramos is Mr. Piranha. I love the fact that the anthropomorphic animals, you know, they don't have names. They are, this is Piranha. This is Wolf. You know, this is Tarantula. And that's that's actually pretty good. Um, and they are in the middle of the, a major heist as the film begins. And the, uh, the heist... Um, you know, go sideways, they're looking at some serious prison time, but they may have a way out of prison if they agree to a social experiment that will involve being being good guys for a change. And, you know, as you can probably imagine, chaos ensues. But that opening sequence, there is, you know, like it, it, it eventually kind of tips over into Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13 territory, but there's the bang of Quentin Tarantino, a family-friendly-esque um, uh, Tarantino, or family-friendly Tarantino-esque um, uh, bang off the opening segment, which is, you know, this breathless, brilliantly choreographed robbery sequence where the screenwriters and the director, they just throw everything into those first 15 minutes all the best gags all the best lines all the best animation and then as you said it is like it's it's almost like here's your fizzy lemonade and here it's just exploding all over the place and, and it's so impressive to look at and i'm laughing and, and i and i said to you guys this is brilliant at the, at the very beginning love this and then something happens where you have the screenwriters ethan cohen and it's not that ethan cohen it's a different mm-hmm. ethan cohen and you have hillary winston they decide to overcomplicate matters with this weird like a villain is brought in there's this govern governess character there is story there is this story about a meteorite having crashed into the earth and you know what you can do with the left with the power from the leftover meteorite what the hell what's what's going on mm-hmm. none of this stuff belongs in the film and when you start throwing in plot and plot and more plot it just the the jokes are forgotten about the animation becomes very formulaic the whole thing just becomes worse than ordinary just forgettable you start to forget about it while you're watching it which is an awful shame because again for the third time let's just say that intro is dynamite Mm, it really it's so strong andy i think we're all pretty much in unison on this one brilliant start and it just completely falls on its face major disappointment because i thought this really had the the makings for a new franchise for dreamworks yeah, it did. The first 15 minutes, like we said, it was just like my poor girlfriend. I think she had bruised ribs after the first 15 minutes with me. Up. I was like, that's from Pulp Fiction. That's from Ocean's Eleven. That's it. And I was really enjoying it with something <laughs> like Shaun the Sheep or, um, you know, Zootopia, where it has all these references to things like Serpico and that you know, the adults in the audience will get. But it doesn't take away from anything that the, the kids are having in the film. Like the kids were really enjoying the film that I was with as well. And then again, it kind of hits that 40 minute mark and you know, you're, you're losing interest. And I was even looking at the, the two kids I brought with me. They were the same. You could kind of see them looking around. There was no reason for it to be like, you know, it's close to two hour runtime. It runs out of steam. And when it runs out of steam, it gets very dull very quickly. And like you said, it just, it's a great concept, a great idea that just ran out of steam. And I think if they had to shorten the runtime significantly, there still would have been some gas left in the tank. I'm going with a completely different metaphor from the fizzy lemonade. I've decided to, to set on a car one for some reason, but yeah, like it, it feels like a missed opportunity. Oh, okay. Out of 10, Andy? I'll go six. I did enjoy it, but just it could have been so much better. 
Yeah, I go for a five. What about you, Chris? Now let me down, lads. I just thought, you know what? It is a crushing defeat snatched from the jaws of victory. And and it's just after that opening, I was expecting so much and I was so disappointed. So I'm going to have to go a four out of ten. Four out of ten. There you go. We've got a nice downward trajectory there for uh, the bad guys. And our final film on our list is Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Uh, the first film, I think, took all of us by surprise by being quite entertaining. Um, and it had no right to be uh, whatsoever. Not the greatest film by any means, but very watchable. And before we chat about it, here is a clip. I don't know how you got back, but you made a big mistake coming here. Oh, contraire, mon frere. The mistake was thinking you'd won. I get it. <laughs> I don't think you do, but you're about to. And so will that idiot sheriff in his right hand. And your little dog, too! Pitiful. Who are you? Where are my manners? Sonic, meet Knuckles. My new BFFAE, bestest friend forever and ever. So also at this weekend is the inevitable sequel to Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And out of all of us, Andy has seen this. Andy, um, the first film, God, there, there was an awful lot of product placement in it. There was a particular, I don't know, was it like an Italian restaurant or something like that? Any opportunity they got to mention, it was quite clunky how they got it in. But you've got uh, Matthew Marsden in there, who's always a quite likable presence. And Jim Carrey just bringing back that 90s Jim Carrey style, which just seemed like it had been long forgotten. Brilliant as, as the villain in here. And as we all know, they listened to the fans and they redid the animation, which went down extremely well. But look, it was by the numbers type of animated offering, but there was a fun aspect to it and everyone's heart was in the right place on camera and behind the scenes. So it was only inevitable we were going to get a sequel because the first film did so well. Now, uh, we've got new characters in here. People will know from the, uh, the animated show and for the sequel, we've got Tails, we've got Knuckles in there. How do all these new characters uh, play out along with Jim Carrey's uh, crazy villain? surprisingly well like the first film like you said it had that first trailer where sonic was this terrifying looking creature and they redone it and we're, we're going to see god this is going to be a disaster and it actually was quite sweet and it was also nice to see james Marsden actually get the girl in the end on like you know the notebook x-men and enchanted where he you know was the, the handsome lad who loses out to the, the cool hero the sequel it's probably even better to be honest it is really really entertaining it could make an argument for being probably one of the best video game adaptations that i've ever seen it knows when to put the references in it isn't hamstrung by any of them and it is just really really funny there's a 10 minute wedding sequence in it without any of the kind of without sonic tails or knuckles involved in it that might be the funniest scene of the year i was in absolute stitches watching it i really really enjoyed it and i was kind of surprised at how much of like a cultural footprint Sonic has with kids. Like I brought my uh, my nephew with me. And just beforehand, I was kind of panning up. Is he going to know what Sonic is? I was like, do you know? He goes, oh, I've seen the force. And he was telling me everything that happened, telling me all about the cartoon. And I was like, oh, did you play the game? He's like, what game? He had no idea that this was a video game. So there's an entire new generation that we've been raised on Sonic cartoons that I wasn't aware of. But back to this, it is just it, all heart. Jim Carrey is, you know, Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, Jim Carrey, which I will always have a place for. He is absolutely fantastic. He is having the time of his life doing it. There's a real heart to it. There's a real lovely message at its core. 
But above anything else, it is funny and it is entertaining. And I was shocked at how much I enjoyed this. Oh, listen, I can't wait. My son has been dying to see this. Out of 10 for uh, Sonic 2? 8 out of 10. What? Sonic, Sonic is the best film I have seen in about six weeks, which wow. I'm shocked at. <laughs> what? <laughs> there we go. Uh, uh, Olivia, just as a matter of interest, from, from a Geek Ireland perspective, is there, is there an interest in, in Sonic 2? Oh, there was a massive interest in it and I was dying to go see it, but unfortunately um, Miss Rona got me so I wasn't able to go to the uh, the press screening. Um, but no, there's still a massive appetite for Sonic and when you think about it, it is still one of the biggest gaming franchises in the world of all time and has even topped um, lists compared to Pokemon and Pikachu and things like that. Like Sonic is probably one of the biggest... Um, uh, internet character, internet um, Googled characters from video games ever, and again beating Pikachu to the top of those lists. So, like, there is still a massive appetite for Sonic content. So, like, hearing that the movie is actually good, um, although I know me and Andy tend to uh, disagree quite a lot, but I'm really hoping I agree with him on this one. <laughs> Same here. I actually can't wait to see it. Actually, it's be really good. And um, listen, guys, thank you so much for that. So, um, who would have thought that Sonic the Hedgehog 2 would be our film of the week? But there you go. Eight out of 10 from Andy. As always, a pleasure. Olivia Fahey, Chris Wasser, Andy McCarroll. We will chat to you guys again next week. And that is it for part one of We Love Movies. Still lots more to come in the second half.